Hello and welcome to the Fine Permaculture Podcast episode 9. Today we're talking about water, uh, rainwater collection, irrigation and conservation. Um, this podcast basically carries over from our lunchtime learning program, which if you click the link in the description, you go over and see that, which is like a 20 minute lecture, sort of more formal about, uh, about the topic. And then after that, we just come on and chat and get you more in depth, relaxed. Maybe you could watch it in the garden or something once you're finished, more relaxed. Uh, so I'm joined today by Colleen and Mike Jones. Uh, thanks for coming. Colleen, how's it going? I'm good. Uh, I did a bit of gardening today, playing with uh, the way water moves as well. So that's always fun. And Mike, and I, good. I'm I'm very well. I actually showered before the podcast, so I had an experience <laughs> with water. So. <laughs> it was nice. Uh, very good. Well, thanks, guys, for joining us today. Uh, so first up was uh, rainwater collection and. One of these guys want to take it off. Do you, do you, uh collect rainwater and IBCs or anything like that, or water butts or? Um. Yeah, we've done several different small systems. We've done your classic blue barreled, off the roof. Uh, you know, collecting rainwater. Um, we usually like to put our rainwater barrels that you know you hook it to the um, the gutter, the downspout coming off of your roof, um, and then we'll raise it up usually eighteen inches so that we can put a watering barrel underneath the little spigot at the bottom of the mm-hmm. hose. So we'll do that. Um, you know, and one thing, you know, just to address a fear about rainwater collection, um, you don't have to clean your rainwater. Um, that's been proven a lot of, you know, Verge Permaculture. Um, they've done work on that and they have a lot of very good information um, about uh, the fact that like in the water, when you're collecting water in these, in these systems, the algae will grow and you know your first instinct is oh we got to kill the algae that's dirty got to clean it that's actually cleaning the water the algae actually that does collect in these systems are actually cleaning the water um so like so rainwater collection is a lot safer than i think was the the myth in the past um so yeah currently we have we have a little bit of rainwater coming off we have a massive roof we have a lot more potential for what we're actually collecting we could actually probably irrigate the farm through swales down our hill just haven't gotten there yet um but the most significant thing we have is there's a well that's up our hill about 80 feet above us which if you do your calculations for water pressure that's about right on it's about 30 psi pounds per square inch uh, which is like average hose pressure so that's in an ibc tank way up way up the hill um probably drug drag it up there a couple summers ago there's an old well that's actually broken but I use a siphon system to actually go over the top of the well, pull it out to charge the IBC tank that's up there. And then that's charged. And then I have my whole farm um, irrigated from that rainwater. So we don't tap into the residential water to do any kind of irrigation now in the summer. So that was a big change last summer, finally. Um, the significant change, because I might have to go up there every three days in, you know, when we're really using the water, because it's only 250 gallons. Um, that goes faster than you might think. So I just have to march back up the hill, get some exercise. It takes me 10 minutes to, you know, um, actually I have a video of of the system where I have to like use a bucket to charge into one thing and it uses the pressure and it starts sucking up the thing from, 
from the well, you can hear it. It's kind of cool. And then it comes on and then it creates a siphon that then kind of sticks. And, uh, you know, so so it's interesting. But, um, yep, that's me. How about you, Colleen? Anything? <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved it. I loved I absolutely love the last part. Uh, we're also doing that partially where I live right now with my partner. Mm -hmm. It's basically two homes on the same property and it's all on a former river uh, river valley we're not really literally on the riverbed and in time it's been uh, sorry not trellised uh, terraced so mm. there's three levels upstairs and we have two levels so because it's such a steep slope it's really a tetris game of how we can trap it in, in certain parts so uh we have two basically well we can call them ibc tanks or it's just a big one and there are, there's two smaller ones which are connected and we have to deal with the overflow this isn't really yet set up from one but the way we take water from that side and we drop it i think it could be about two meters only two meters but we have a former pool so once upon a time there was a pool on this property mm -hmm. and now it's a, it's a rainwater uh, open tank i don't know how to call it and we have algae so that's another thing uh obviously we don't use it for anything else but irrigation and we also ha have that system where you take two hose you put you you fill some you let some water fill in from each side and then it creates a suction and then that's how we transfer it we also have mm -hmm. a pump a small pump but it's just is not this that... above is it above uh is it above ground from where you you know the water like that pool is that a how high above where the water where you want the water to come out is that do you think <sighs> I, I know you're on a mountain so the pool which is a secondary storage you have to take it intentionally there although there is some hard off hard surface runoff that's that's going directly into the pool but mm -hmm. itself is basically at the same level as two of the gardens we have really small patches of gardens i'd okay. say two times 200 feet so they're really small but they're both irrigated with this water and with everything else it's really like a tetris you go okay it overflows up to that point and that part is going to get really wet so that's where we're going to plant some some support species to take that water in and then a lot of it we i've put in um, like i have an overflow and it has to irrigate I, I we can't do another system because obviously a lot of things are already in place but that's the driveway that's the only way cars can get in so it has to be overflowed there so what i did was actually to get some water moving but at really slow speed I think I put in about 12 to 18 inches of uh, of wood chips all okay. along this this uh, spillway. So once it's buffered, I'm, I'm, I might have like even two or three feet right at the spillway, but then there's wood chips that are kind of soaking in this water once it's slowed. And then we're kind of uh looking at each each part of the property where exactly does it have does the geology have uh more 
content because again we're talking about a former uh, river valley so it's a lot of geology we can actually see it at certain points but it's not all mathematical like okay you're gonna get the most water at this point because this is how it's supposed to to drain just water moving on the surface and i'm trying to intercept we're trying to intercept that as much as possible but it's also moving through the geology and i i, I try to make the best of the situation it, it's so you're, you're capturing rain in into the tanks and then you're moving it through the system exactly okay and okay. Uh, i'm using the uh, a small pump and the system that you 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 described and we have an overflow this driveway overflow I'm gonna term it like this and from there I'm soaking it in through different levels of sponges and I have like uh, five edges of, of path on which I'm piling a lot of material so it's not a swale it's not really moving water on the on the surface but I'm trying to make it into a sponge so we have these edges where I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to favor as much absorption as possible. So there's no, ideally water would not be able to escape all these zigzags and trappings and, and everything. But it's like, if I, if I had to put it on paper, just because it's, uh, it's we're reinvesting something that is geological basically. And there's some, uh, earth that's been brought so that's not exactly soaking the way uh, normal soil would so it, it's it's a lot of interesting things a lot of uh, answers that we don't uh, have uh, yet and uh, a lot of learning yeah i'm sure so how much of this was like pre-designed versus you, you kind of like you know water is going to do what water wants to do whether you want it mm. to or not so uh, how much of yeah. this was a process of observation where you were like, oh, okay, it goes here. Is this what you mean with your Tetris? You know, you like, oh, it wants to go here. Oh, we got to go this way. We got to get it this way. And so that's, has that been through observation or would you sort of design it that way to create a lot of edge? Uh, so the one thing that was really designed and uh, thinking was the edges, control the edges. Okay. Bring in especially woody materials and make sure that all the edges. However, there are spillways, which are also underground and are taking water through pathways that were designed by somebody else. And also, again, the, the geology, this is something that I could look at the map all day, but there's no way of understanding unless we do a scan of, of the, whatever it is, subsoil. So you can't really understand it. It's, it's a, you move it half an inch, so to speak, each day and maybe you see okay is it intercepting do i get a wet spot here uh, i've tried with some uh, plants i put them in certain spaces and it's oriented south and then i'd see okay does it get moisture is it working here ideally it should be getting moisture because I, I'm, I'm blocking but there's no telling what's in the soil or maybe underneath the soil right so it's both it's both the edges. I went into controlling them and creating as much opportunities for, for life to develop there. But then I'm doing trials with, with some plants to see, okay, is it really getting the water here or elsewhere? 
Nice. How about you, no, Cormac? That... Uh, I know I know you're on a, a small uh, small plot of land, but you are you collecting out of rain barrels or what, what's your system? Um, I don't currently have one. Um, it it rains a lot here, so I'm in <laughs> I'm in yeah. Ireland. It rains. Uh, <laughs> in saying that, uh, we do get hosepipe bams now and again. I think I've had two in the last maybe seven or eight years, where just in the summer you just go through long extended periods. And the, the reservoirs dry up quite quick then. Uh, we're only a small country of, uh, I don't know, it's not even, I think it's 1.2 million or something, 1.7 million, I can't remember. <laughs> so it's like tiny. So like the, the just the whole system can't cope with the drought. Uh, I did buy, a, I have IBC tanks out the back to install a rainwater system, but I, I never got around to uh, installing it, but just as well, because now I can take everything with me. Um. So I it was it's interesting you you both saying there. So it's uh and Colleen, you you're using all three methods. So you you have like um you have like sort of man made things like ABC and totes. Mm-hmm. Then you have like the pawns that you're actually sort of storing in pawns, and then you also have the sponge where you're trying to retain that water. So is, is there any other methods like so that's to a beginner gardener, that might not seem as obvious that you no, know, there's different ways you can collect water. I would say keeping it in the ponds the best. It's always better in the earth than mm. in the ground. Uh, but if you have to then resort to the to the tank or collecting mm-hmm. it. And Mike, you mentioned before there about uh verge and the and the and collecting room water. So I see a lot of systems designed with a first flush. So the first flush, yeah. So that's basically when the rain comes off the water with the dirt that first six feet of, of water goes in there and then it siphons off into the rain. Would, is yeah, that, so are you saying there's no need to clean that water? I can just go straight into the tank or just, is it the, the lion water just lying there? Well, I, I've heard, I've heard good and bad about it. It makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, especially if you have an asphalt roof or actually any roof where you're, there's going to be some debris that comes off of the roof. Then that first flush is nice because then the water comes down and instead of going directly into the tank, it has this reservoir, like you said, that goes down for a little bit and holds only so much water. But that way, the particles fall down into that well that you can then release at the bottom and then just flush it out, first flush. Um, but mm-hmm. then the thing is, is if if you don't keep up with it and keep flushing it, it can get clogged and then it becomes toxic, you know, at the top once it, if it were to fill up. So it's the kind of thing you're you're adding you're adding something to the system. You're adding a a new, a new unit to the system. So it, it it's adding a potential for failure. But you know, I think if you if you make the reservoir large enough, if if you're a little lazy, you're not going to probably get to it maybe a couple times in the season. That's it. Then make a larger reservoir. If you're, you know, checking everything every day, which is not most of us. Then you could get away with a smaller thing. But I think I don't say it's just a mechanical, it's a simple mechanical thing that uses gravity. So it can't be too toxic. Um, so I, I like it. I'm saying it's not, it, it's necessary to filter out particles because particles can clog up the system. They can build up. And so, yeah, first flush, I don't think it's the same thing as, as needing to kill the algae and the bacteria. These form naturally in sunlight in the tanks. Um, and you know, if if it becomes an anaerobic system, that might be 
a bad situation. So there is a ventilation factor there. Um, but otherwise, that algae and all that, that's just icky in the minds of people that don't know that it's actually not, o- not only harmless, but helpful in the fact that it does filter the water itself at a nice slow rate. Um, but we, you know, we could, um, there's more to at, at vergepermaculture.com. They, they have a, an extensive amount of information about there if you want to uh, continue that there, um, you know, continue reading about it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I haven't I haven't used it myself, but I will in my next yeah. system. I have used several roof collection water systems. And the only problem I've had is, you know, is debris. You know, you put a screen at the top to so the leaves from the gutter doesn't go in the, you know. So that's it, just kind of keeping that clean. Um never had and remember, you know, this isn't drinking water. Um, most of the time drinking water, you want to be a little more diligent about it, um, and maybe testing it, et cetera. Most of this, this is just going on your plants. So it's filtered. I mean, there's just, it's, it's really not an issue that I know about. Yeah, no, that's, it's just the, is there any concern over surfaces? I don't think it's like some people say, don't, don't use tar, don't collect rainwater off tar uh, but as you say, if it's, it's it's running off the roof onto the ground anyway, so it's it's the roof has been cleaned by the rain. Um, and the roof is also up in the air; it's away from a lot of the tar. I wouldn't drink something off the street. I wouldn't collect water off of the road because of benzene and yeah. all the molecules in the combustion of um you know fossil fuels. Where the roof is made out of tar and it's made out of fossil fuels, but I imagine it's it's pretty clean. Um, and then the particles are going in there. And also remember. Yeah, that, that's not that's not glyphosate and, and GMOs and, and all these other industrial chemicals. Um, it's, you know, on the roof like that. And you're also you're watering it into plants so it goes in the soil and then the plant filters it and the soil filters it. And this is a mild, very mild toxin versus, you know, a lot of stuff you might find in fertilizer, pesticides in the lawn, stuff in municipal compost and things like that that you might really have to worry about. Or even if you're collecting cardboard and putting newspaper and you're putting that in your garden. You know, if it's a color, glossy color things, you shouldn't put that in because of the chemicals in the paper. That's probably worse than anything coming off of your roof. And again, you're watering your plants and they're filtering it. So, and if you're growing plants, then you're you're probably healthier than a, a lot of people, you know, who are not growing their own plants, fresh and local. So it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert on it, but I've done it myself and that the information I have is that it's basically it's not an issue unless there was some kind of chemical spill on your roof or something that would be adding, you know, to the roof somehow, or I don't know, but uh, otherwise it'd be fine. And also, well, one thing you definitely would look out for is your IBC tank or your, your water collection tank. What, what is its history? What, what was in that IBC tank? A lot of them are just food grade stuff and that's fine. You wash it out and it's fine. Some of them may be storing chemicals or, you know, it's according to your container. You should know what it used to store because that could be a problem because these are bad chemicals going into your plants um, and into your soil. Yeah, my, <clears throat> I have three. Uh, mine's came from a lemonade factory and it was uh, uh, flavoring. It's like... Uh, do you call it like diluted orange? It's like a concentrate, so ah. flavor and concentrate, and that's where that was delivered. So, 
Uh, and as well as that, too, there is a device that you can hook on to your ABC because then it washes it. So oh, the three BCs okay. I bought not only had it was uh, food grade uh, use, it the the guy also cleaned it out for me, which was That's really true. really handy. So if it is, uh, things are going to be a couple hundred dollars. It'd be well worth it if you were going through a lot of ABCs to get it. Basically, it's it's class. It's like a cylinder, and it and it screws on to your ABC lid. And then ah. it, there's a hose hooked up to it, and then it's like a car wash, and it just swizzles around inside, and and washes mm -hmm. your ABC, and then it's uh they open up the filter at the bottom or the the tap, and everything just runs out. So I was confident enough that my my three ABCs are clean. But you're right, uh, you see them online. There's acid and everything, and uh, like I've zoomed into the pictures, and it's like whoa, <laughs> and you see the labels. And you're like, I, I would not want that on my garden. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear I said yours was just lemonade, which is just food grade stuff. That's nice. And you're probably your your lemon bomb has an extra punch to it, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's it's going orange. <laughs> it's, it's, it's green over here, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did want to I did want to add something. I think knowing that it's normal to have algae in your tank because it, it, it's debris which is being decomposed by algae which is already in the air and if sun gets into the IBC and I think using that information we can test a tank so if there is algae forming inside of, inside of your tank but at the same time you're not sure what was put in, in there beforehand that's a good way to know is algae forming because that's a natural phenomenon. So it I think that's even yeah, yeah, probably wouldn't form if there was bad chemicals in there. If there's like poisonous chemicals, the algae would die. Is is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. I am about to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly what I'm saying, and I am about to do this test this uh, this spring. Um, for my demonstration center, we got these uh, blue um, blue containers. And I don't think it was food grade stuff, but we were given an origin, and we're gonna test them. So we're gonna put some some rainwater into them. It's gonna be slightly filtered, and we're gonna let it sit, and we're gonna see what what comes out. Let some sunlight in, and we're gonna test it before putting it to any use. And uh, yeah, I think we can only learn from the experience. At the very least, we can take some of the overflow, which might be headed in different directions, and we can store it there, and we can just direct it through another part of the of the of the property. This is not going to be the case for everyone, so this is like maybe a, a special case. But what I'm saying is, the tanks. Yeah, you want to use the, the water inside for the garden but it might help you mitigate. I mean, there might be a situation where you have too much water heading in the direction of the, of the growing space, but at least you want to control or mitigate that problem. So, okay, you store it into a, a tank and you're not completely satisfied with it, but maybe from there you can direct it to somewhere where it just runs off or it's directed a certain way and then it, it, it's on its path, but it doesn't go to your garden. I don't know. Does it make sense to you? 
Yeah. 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 So okay. if uh <clears throat> so we're all about collecting rainwater here. So uh do any of you see any systems that collect the rainwater in a tank which you know is clean from either do it doing experiments or or you just know the source and then making it drinkable? Uh like through a Berkey filter or is there do you have to do UV stuff or is it just like uh don't go there? You haven't you haven't read the uh seen the latest videos on the Berkey filter? No, not at all. Yeah, that, that that's a not recommend. No. You, you have to yeah, classically, yeah, right. The Berkey filter. Yeah. Now maybe you should watch some stuff. Uh they're having uh trouble proving that their filters actually do what they say. Um and there's also some other toxins coming out of the filters um, that that are not good. So Alleg the, allegedly, uh, allegedly, yeah, allegedly, yeah. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. I saw Don't it I on the see before you even get off the ground. <laughs> I heard it on the internet. Yeah, it must be true. It must uh, be true. So, <laughs> so but anyway, do, do your own research. But you're right. You're saying that uh, filter. I we I not yet. I wanted to design a filter to the the spring that I was talking about at the top of the hill. I wanted to come in. I wanted to tap it into the house as a separate separate pressure system, I want to be able to really for an emergency, hook it up to a couple of filters. We're going to do an, in a whole house filter, just got a, a reverse osmosis filter. I'm still hooking up on a sink here, but we're going to do a whole house filter. So we have well water, um, mm -hmm. but I'd like to also hook the rainwater into it, run it through some carbon um, and another filter mm -hmm. for sort of an emergency drinking in okay, case so we need to so yeah. you're, talk, you're talking the, like the gravel, the sand, the charcoal. Yep. That sort of like traditional old school survival filter. Yeah, we'd, we'd have to go further than that, though, because the well is up on the hill. There could be wildlife up there. The well is broken, so it's saturated the ground. So it is compromised. So if there was a deer, you know, to like whipped out its newspaper, did its thing, then, you know, then that would be trouble. So we'd oh. have to we'd have to to uh, filter it at a higher level for for pathogens to be safe. Colleen, were you going to say something? Yeah, my my friends. So for reference, uh, I started doing uh, the design of uh, the property of some friends uh, where I was living about two years ago. Uh, no, actually, almost three years ago we started, and. That's becoming my demonstration center. So when I talk about that, that's what it means. So it's the property of people who are living there, and they have their own well. They own. They have their own. Um, what do you call it? Right. It's a. It's a well. It's a drilled. The drilled system. well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, what we're getting off the land is actually what they're drinking, because they're pumping it and they're putting it through a whole house filter. So we're very mindful, although I, you know, I, I did mention, okay, we might be getting some water that's headed towards a part of the property and we might put it in some tanks, but the system overall, it does handle this. And yeah, they have a filter. I can taste the difference between uh, municipal water and what they have from their own land through a filter. <laughs> There's no comparison and we have, um, they actually grow, uh, they have uh, colonies of, uh, what do you call that? Oh. Yeah, kombucha, they have LG. kombucha, they have, they uh, have kefir. Yeah, they, we have different uh, preparations and we only use that water. 
so we see how that reacts because we actually put life oh distilled water is that what you mean sorry i i didn't catch you do you, do you mean distilled water i think it's just like pure water is that what you mean no or... no no no. no. So oh, okay they run it through a filter okay so mm -hmm. you drink it i can tell the difference from municipal water it's just different so it's safe and we're also putting it into um, kefir and kombucha so we're using that tap water but that tap water is their own private well water run through a, a regular filter and we're seeing that results and they're because you're putting life in yes. that water before you drink it so again as i as we were mentioning about the the algae if different forms of life are, are thriving in it i think that only adds to the argument, okay, I think it's safe. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, there's certain pathogens that are alive in there that you don't want for sure, you know, um, but you would, you would know when that would be happening, you know, like I know that that my, my water system up at the top of the hill is compromised because, I mean, I could put a fence around it, you know, a fence around up there in that area to keep deer away. Mm -hmm. That's one way to do it, but I'd rather just let them do their thing, and then I'll filter it when it gets to the house, just because that way I have more control. Even the fence, a bird could come, and I, I don't know. I'm not, like, super worried about things, but again, I don't want to poison my family, so there's a there's a compromise. Mm -hmm. But I, I really do like that idea, Colleen. You're right, it's like the the reverse canary in the coal mine kind of thing, where, yeah, it's, you know, the, just the fact that the algae is alive probably means, hey, there's no bad chemicals in there. It doesn't prove it, but it it's an it's a you know it's an observation mm -hmm. yeah i know in in germany i'm, I'm going on, on the limb but i'm going to come back come right back i know in germany there are systems where they use uh fish that are sensitive to even the ph change and the ph uh -huh. will change if there's chemicals heavy metals dissolving in it well it's more complex than that but they have these a lot of these live systems which actually detect and basically they die they have different tanks and the fish will die if the water is anywhere below the level of uh, of being drinkable that's pretty amazing yeah i think bill mollison references it in the in the designer's manual i can't remember where i picked that up i think he, yeah or in one of his courses and again, it makes sense, you know, we have these, uh, this information that you, we should have algae. So if there are different growing systems which are uh, thriving in this water that we're using for drinking, which is filtered, again, through, with, through something that should be taking out the pathogens, detritus, mm -hmm. you know, you have that list. And I, I wanted to, to, maybe if you want to say anything about this, but I want to jump in with a question. Uh, did you look at the vegetation around your well, Mike? Yeah, I mean it's it's forest. Um, it's it's a little little bit riparian, if I'm using the term correct, because there is a lot of there's water. It's marshy. Um, you know, there's maple trees, and actually, this is this is the hemlock area. There's hemlock trees growing in this wet area where all the springs are, which makes sense, right? The hemlock likes that kind of Thing. so it's like maple and hemlock mixed um and there's fern there's fern around there um it's a little mossy i think 
as well. But um, yeah, it's kind of far. So this is right at the edge of the cliff. On the top, there's rocks and everything there. It's like a kind of a rock face on the end. Um, but yeah, it's 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 kind of kind of marshy in that area. But again, it's not it's not too long because then there's a, a hill and everything drains off and there's a stream. Mm -hmm. And it's right back into regular forest. So we've we've captured water from the rain or from a river or from springs, um, different sources of water, and we're storing them in tanks, um, you know, different kinds of tanks, IBC or, or whatever, or even a, a large cistern. You could store water in a cistern underground and then pump it into the house. Um, so we've captured it. We're storing it. And now we need to distribute it, this water to our plants through some sort of uh, irrigation system. So what have you guys used? Again, I'm a small place, so it doesn't really make sense. My hose reaches every corner of the property. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just, it doesn't doesn't make sense for me really to have irrigation. Now, the, the back beds that I have, I, I did buy a irrigation system off wish.com. <laughs> 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 That was before I knew any better. Uh, it's like, <laughs> like, oh, that's cheap. And I, <laughs> There's a reason. <laughs> There's a reason. So uh, that never got really implemented because uh, it just wasn't worth it. And uh, so for that, I just, I you just have to go out twice a day, just water in the morning, water at night. Uh, for me, it takes two minutes. If I had a, if I had some sort of system up. I, I would if I was going away on holidays, it might make sense to have a drip irrigation or something, but I haven't really went very mm -hmm. far. And I would sort of have to, for me to have an irrigation system, I would have to sort of have two things to align it would be a, a period of drought and me being on holidays. And the mm -hmm. chance of them two things aligning are just not worth me getting an irrigation system. So I think that's important to say as well that you just you have to think about what your needs are and what your own lifestyle is. So I'm here mm -hmm. all the time. So if it means I go out and I uh, put the hose in the backyard for 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes at night, that, that's as much irrigation as I do. Uh, it's just not practical. Ireland, Ireland itself is an irrigation system. Yeah, well, it just rains. Like, and, uh, yeah, if you see yes. my on my raised beds at the back, uh, if I let it all, the front of the raised beds go, I get these reeds up and it's like they only grow where it's damp. Yeah. So it's like that's an indication of right, that's soaking wet there, and that's that's too much. Uh so any anything think about drainage there. So I do have a slight drainage problem at the back, but I just haven't got around to addressing it yet. But it's not I guess that it's not that big of an issue for me to have to address it. Yeah, so, if you start if you start seeing flamingos in your backyard, you know it's just, it's just getting too wet. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> It like it gets wet, it rains, it gets wet, and it dry it dries out after a while. Not as fast as I like, but um, that's why I would grow and raise beds to sort of get above that dump. So I don't really mm -hmm. need it. So I what I was saying, uh, I have raised beds at the back, which I think I mentioned before. I made a type one air. I filled it full of rubble and like uh, building, building rocks. They use it. I think I can't remember they call it course or something. They call it. So it drains really quick in the summer and for maybe three or four weeks of the year when it does get hot, that's a bit of a nightmare because the bed just dries out. So I try to make sure I have plenty of 
uh, of stuff growing there and it makes sure it right and full. So just to stop that evaporation. But even at that, it's it's like six or seven inches of soil. It just dries out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, for my circumstances, it's not really worth me fixing that because it just doesn't make sense. Although it's a tight one air and it, I, I don't like it. So I, I a crap answer for irrigation here because I don't need it. Uh, that's good. Well, that's uh, that's one extreme of the irrigation spectrum. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. How about you, Colleen? What are you doing? How, how much uh, how much space are you on that you're right now that you're actively working on? An, an acre or how much? I'm not sure. Uh, Say it again. Not you clean that. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, wait. I, I also wanted to. I'll, I'll answer you right away, Mike. I wanted to say for Cormac, it's just an observation. I think uh, this is something that you know, since we're we're putting out these lessons, sometimes it's not worth it to put in irrigation systems. So it's good to know about the technique, know how it can work, how it can apply. But this is a prime example of because there are a number of interactions with the garden and he's going there he's going to look at the, at the plants he's, if he's not going to pick something he's going to look at the plants and if the hose is so small it's the degree of 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 interaction it, the energy that put that gets put into taking the hose and you know making it yourself uh, that goes right in hand with observation which is really important so again uh, linking it to the lesson or to you know having so many ideas, you don't always have to use everything you know just for the sake of, of, of using oh. them. That that links it to your question, Mike. So there's no point in using everything that you know, not not trying to, um, to impose a will or a, or, a, or a technique on the land or on a project if it doesn't make sense. So on this same property, it's basically half an acre, but it's on so many different uh, slopes so again I, I mentioned what i was doing so making sure the edges are somewhat controlled so whatever water which is one edge of whatever level it's at it goes through this sponge so at least even if i'm losing it from the growing medium at least i'm soaking it into the ground and you know mm-hmm. ecologically speaking it's going somewhere and i'm doing a lot of mixing and matching so the 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 watering system let's say the water management system because it's several techniques and we also have to do something mean something manual completely manual uh to get it to where we want but at the same time we're trying to control it so i've put in uh i could call them micro swales so Mm. if ever i have too much water on the property and i have to get rid of it and it's been the case this winter I think I've taken like a 1000 liters. That's, uh, uh, 250 gallons. Yeah. 250 gallons. I think we had to empty maybe like 400 gallons within half a day because the rains were coming and we didn't want to lose it. So I put in a, a small, like a micro swell system at the top of the growing areas. And they can, it's like my overflow. At least I'm putting it into the ground. It feeds some of the, Mm -hmm. I even call them chinampas because it gets really, really wet sometimes. 
and at least I'm putting it into the soil. And from there, it's going to move slowly towards the other part of the garden. Again, I mentioned I have strips of, of, of gardens, or we have strips of gardens. And at least it's soaking into the system. So part of it is not really that, if I were to put it on a map, it would be a little bit difficult to explain you know, how water moves. But we found this works for us with experience, with trials, with you know mixing and matching. And uh, again, just like Cormac, it, it doesn't make sense to be too complicated to put in a, a watering system. It has to go up and down. So there might be press, pressure loss. Uh, you have to clean it for debris, for um, um, what do you call that? For lime, lime deposits, everything else. So again, they're good techniques but we have to make sure they we apply them correctly and there's i mean we're gonna leave this property here in a few months and to be honest if i were to do as much as i can i think it's possible to do in terms of watering techniques i think i might be another two years there might be another two years in which i could slowly improve on the system just from applying techniques uh, spending some money, sometimes you have to spend the money, and then seeing the feedback from the system and planting accordingly. And I'll just link it to something, you know, growing, actually growing something. We found last year we were trying to um, irrigate certain parts, but then the soil itself was kind of dictating what was growing. So we learned a valuable lesson as much as we were putting this care into, okay, this part here is going to be wet, this part is going to be drier, this part gets more sun, you know, everything. Even the water that would be brought, it would still not, uh, you know, we can't override nature. Right. So you have the plants that tell you, okay, this is a good soil for this. I think you make a really good point. I mean, that's, you know, about irrigation is, is really the first the first lesson about irrigation is knowing when not to use it because it's mm -hmm. it's a little bit more complicated system it takes a little bit more money makes takes more care um to put it in like a good drip line system we're, we're not talking about sprinkling and broadcasting water in a field that's agriculture a lot of that water is waste lost to, at least half of that water is lost just to evaporation that's that's not what we're talking about we're talking about <laughs> drip irrigation but yeah, not, I mean, and another thing about on a small scale, like, like Cormac is, and like most people are on a quarter acre, maybe a half acre, which seems like a lot of property, right? Um, that in that situation, I think the point you were trying to make, Colleen, very good point was, you know, if you have an irrigation system, you're sort of removed from the irrigation process. Whereas if you have a watering can or even a hose, you're you have an opportunity to observe and that's you're doubling up your effort you're not only watering but you're observing you're saying oh this is doing well this is not etc so you want to audit your garden and that watering by hose or, or watering can either way is a really way intimate way of mm -hmm. you know watering and observing your plants now when you get into a food forest and or production crops yeah absolutely irrigation because it take you all day to water it, and that's a little too intimate. You just turn into a plant eventually. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's good to know when to use that. 
or even on even on a small scale, you could have a small drip line situation. Like Cormac said, sometimes the, the planets align and you suddenly need irrigation, even though you're in wet Ireland. Um, you know, you could have a drought and a vacation at the same time. And suddenly, you know, you could lose all your plants. I think um, if I if I was in a, uh, say, a subsistence situation where I was like growing food to feed my family and it was mm -hmm. really important. Well, then I, I would consider, right, I need a drip line then because I need to guarantee water. I need to guarantee conditions. I, I need to ensure that there's that stable uh, environment for my crops to grow. I need a stable water supply. So maybe I would say, right, that's important. I need to put that in. But yeah, my, daily, it's, it's... My, my daily garden is just like, well, we all it failed, right? And I, I'm learning. So it's it's a classroom for me. It's just a, all right, that dried out. That didn't dry out. That done well. That didn't do well. So I'm learning all the time. But if it was in a subsistence situation or a, Say running a market garden, I would say you no. Know, you get get your irrigation in. Yeah, it's more consistent that way, and you're not gonna, you know, make say you're not gonna miss a day. You could be sick and you can't water or whatever. It's gonna be consistent. And how do you? Because uh, I know in, in uh, some designs I've done, it's like uh, some designers would say rip the irrigation out because that's not permaculture. That's that's plastic. That's this, and I'm like, well. That's... Especially with a food forest design, put your irrigation in, and, and as your forest develops, and then it gets the the biomass, there's more mulch, there's less need for watering. Then you consider, say, maybe five, six years once it's established, you'll not need to water it as much. Irrigation is, I mean, it, it's it, there's there's no real hard definition to permaculture, so you can't just say, oh, something's not perm. I yeah. would say that <laughs> I would say putting chemicals on or or fertilizer or chemicals is on the edge of what you could say was like not permaculture because it's just not healthy, but some people do use them. But um, yeah, that's um, it's, it's really, again, every garden is different. Every gardener is different. You need both a garden and a gardener. There's a steward that's going to take care of the land. Um, so it's not, there is no, if, if irrigation is going to get those plants in your belly at the end of the season, then then use it then it works because it's really the most important thing is getting your own nutrition into your belly however so you need to store it you need to water it you need to plant it you need to do these things so that's really the end goal so if you're getting there as long as you're not poisoning yourself with some kind of chemicals then you do it with the plastic um there might be a little bit of plastic in the water because it's drip lines um but <laughs> it's tiny compared to what people get as far as a lot of plastic um, and again, the plants are going to filter most of that before it even gets to you. Your hose is going to be plastic. Okay? <laughs> yes. We, there are BPA-free hoses. You could get a BPA-free <laughs> hose. But again, if you're in the suburbs, you know what, what your water source might be chlorinated, um, which is an issue to some degree. You know, so you just have to do your research. Yeah, what I tend mm -hmm. to do is. Uh... I'll fill the, I have a, like a, a wee black bun and I'll just fill that, fill the uh, hose water and leave it sitting for 24 hours, 48 hours. And then I'll, I'll fill the watering can and walk around with that. It, oh, okay. Degasses, that it? degasses the chlorine apparently after 20, 40, 48 hours. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't know that. That's, that's yeah. handy dandy. Yeah, that, that's a very interesting take. Um, I do watch this. I, I watch several YouTube channels. Uh, the Weedy Gardener, uh, in showing, he has a tutorial about how to do bokashi. 
and at some point you have to use water and he mentions this and then he went back and corrected his stance so i think everybody's situation is dependent on local conditions but that's a good piece of information that you you just mentioned and let's just say i've heard the same thing and i've i've done this i've tried to do to to get to the book not the bokashi uh he calls it Bokashi, but it's only a part of the components of the Bokashi, where you need the equivalent of distilled water. You can't have water with chlorine in it. So I took tap water, I filtered it, I left it for 24 hours, and then I used it to um, <clears throat> uh, for some bacterial culture. And if there were any chemicals in that water, that would have killed the bacteria. And I have not failed. I've tried it, I think, two or three times. I haven't yet failed, so I didn't kill the bacteria. So there's definitely some truth. But then again, we're also talking about local conditions. So again, just to say, I, I've heard the same thing, Cormac, and it, it's good that you bring it up. And that's a very, very good technique to apply to the garden. Just make sure you leave it for 24 hours, 48. Let some of the gases, maybe some contents, if there's anything coming with it from the municipal pipes or whatever, so there's lime, uh, you know, some, some deposits, then it goes back to, goes uh, down, and then you only take the, the water. Yeah, that's, I mean, water is such an important thing. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere um, in, in our food. And, you know, we drink it. It's, we're surrounded. We, we couldn't live without water. Water absorbs uh, chemicals pretty easy. You know, that's really like the, the main thing we've been talking about is like really just avoiding chemicals not avoiding bacteria or algae i mean some bacteria of course pathogenic stuff you have to avoid of course but um you know a lot of it really is with water is really just kind of defending you know you have to capture water you have to store it then you have to distribute it but you also have to defend that water and that's pretty much from pollution from chemicals um etc that our bodies aren't made to you know as we learn about the biome and everything you know we think of ourselves classically it's just like this big chunk of meat this body this powerful thing this you know i'm big i'm giant how could little things hurt me you know but <laughs> because we found out in the last 10 15 years that's really like we are a city of bacteria of made out of the you know, bacteria that are doing all these functions for us producing vitamins controlling our mood our cravings like everything you know it's like i'm the mayor of mike city and i've got to treat my people well because they have an election every day. And if I want to get voted in again, I've got to treat them well. And that's basically not putting chemicals into my body um, in food or in my water inadvertently, because these little chemicals are tiny and, and they kill the tiny things in us. And then suddenly we don't have the vitamin production and, and other nutrients and other dysbiosis just starts growing, et cetera. We feel bad or it could lead to even worse problems. Um, so just having an understanding and a respect for water and where it, the source of the water, where it comes from, how it could be compromised and how we store it. And then also as the planet warms, you know, we look at California, we look at Australia, see these growing droughts that are, that are beginning. Um, the water becomes even more precious. So irrigation systems you know, you want to just spray, if you live in Ireland and it's wet, you can spray with your hose. It's just going to go right back to the ocean in a day. You know, the, the evaporation, it doesn't matter. But if you are in, in a desert area or, a you know, a dry area and you really need to look at like drip line irrigation where you're, you're 
irrigating directly to the roots instead of over top of the leaves where a lot of it would just evaporate off about 50%. So water is one of the most important molecules on the planet. We wouldn't be around without good old H2O, you know, kind of looks like Mickey Mouse too. It's interesting. You got that big oxygen atom and then the two hydrogens right at 105 degrees. It's like, just looks exactly like Mickey Mouse. It's kind of crazy. It's weird. I don't know if it's means anything, but <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, just in general. Yeah. I mean, that's water. Obviously plants need water. Humans need water. We need to water our plants, but we have to protect our water living on a planet ruled by industry and all its chemicals floating everywhere, sneaking around, hiding. So you got to be smart to, to uh, protect your water. That leads us very nicely, Mike, into the third topic <laughs> of water conservation. <laughs> uh, not a, not a terrible, well, I suppose there's, there's water conservation as in looking after water and your wetlands, but it's more using this water. And there's no point in going through all this stuff of water being precious. You capture it, you treat it well, you use it, and then just waste it. <laughs> and then just, just like flush it, flush it down because. I always think it's absurd. We uh, we get clean water that's been cleaned and processed, pumped up through the city water, and then we use it to wash away our waste. It's, like, it's just it's just daft. And uh, so like, you ever see the see the movie Idiocracy? Yeah, yeah, uh, Brondo. Brondo, yeah. What you you? Put it's got water electrolytes. On the <laughs> it's, got a, it's what plants crave. It's what Franz Crave class. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's one of my favorite movies. It's just yeah. uh, it, so it, protecting water, protecting water, and how you use water throughout your day. You just uh, you appreciate water, like because we we waste like tens of liters. I don't know the like you might know the the figures for what we what the average average Joe uses every day. It's I, I don't know that offhand. And um, it's crazy, like you flush the toilet. Like, different in different countries, I'll tell you that. There's two liters gone, just boom, just gone. Mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I have a bad habit of, I mean, we have well water, so, you know, it's up to us, but still we need to conserve that. It costs electricity to pump it, et cetera. Um, and I just have, like, I notice in my, some of my, you know, Mr. Permaculture here and some of my bad habits, um, <laughs> like wasting water. Like, you know, I'll, I'll turn it on to brush my teeth. It's just like, out of, I came right out of the suburbs in New Jersey. You just turn on the water first. As soon as you think about water, you turn it on. And then you, all right, now what am I going to do? I'm brushing my teeth. I'm like brushing my teeth for like a minute and the water's just running. You know, like instead of, and it's just a habit in, in my head. You know, if I would just leave it off and maybe squirt it a little, brush my teeth and then turn it on at the end and then boom, you know, like I a lot of times when you have to do things that you do them and when you don't you have to think about it so that's just a habit that i have one simple habit i could change to help conserve water um yeah and i was thinking you know kind of going back to the the garden uh i was kind of leading up to you know capture store distribute protect and one of the main ways in, in, you know, like in a permaculture food forest, that water, once it's distributed, you protect it with mulch. You put a, you put a layer mm -hmm. of blanket over top of it to keep that moisture in, to keep it away from the sun. Also a food forest, even in its design itself, it's really all about water. 
you're starting with a canopy tree. What does a canopy tree do? It produces shade. Shade reduces evaporation. So already your forest floor is shaded and the evaporation rate goes down dramatically. Then, you know, whether it's, well, I mean, nature designs the forest perfectly. You know, there's, it's always perfect, every perfect design every time. Um, but we have to think about that as permaculture designers when we're taking what used to be a lawn and turning it eventually in five years to a food forest. Um, so there's really the design of the food forest is layers of protection of water. Starts with shade, then you have smaller layers of shade in there, um, and then you would have a ground cover plant. Um, you know, something with large leaves that sprawls across the ground, like it could be watermelon or it could be, you know, even thyme, something that's small. Um, strawberries are a good ground cover as well. So that's another layer of shade, direct shade, basically. Then you have the, you know, you can use mulch, wood chip mulch, et cetera, which is directly on there and put it directly in there. You're planting, you're, you have that soil, that mulch is a blanket and the, it's moist soil underneath. And you plant into that substrate and then you put the mulch back around because it's like you're tucking in your plants with a blanket because that because you love them and they require that kind of care. Um, so that that's other layers of protection of water. Any thoughts, Colleen? Yeah, <laughs> I like I like uh, Mike uh, I like Mike's storytelling. Um, I did want to like add my word of appreciation and also uh, uh, Mike was mentioning, you know, just the personal consciousness of understanding this, this wonderful resource that we have. And again, like I'm Mr. Permaculture in my family. And then it just takes a while to think it through and then to, to adjust maybe each gesture maybe at some point you get to each gesture like with the water tap water and everything uh it's sometimes it's small things that bring that makes a difference if if, if it's possible and i did want to show some appreciation also for the just like the natural system so again i mentioned the situation i live in and it had been a while since i discovered the um, the importance of certain canopy trees because you were mentioning those as well and in my case it's cedar trees they grow i think the ones on the property are close to 80 feet tall even i think they might be getting to 100 feet wow and if they're growing at certain parts of the property you can see the bedrock okay so they're implanted you have these huge trees the trunk uh yeah close to six feet across even wow. even bigger so the cedars in, in my particular case in this climate with this kind of uh, geological substrate these are the pumps that keeps everything together because okay it's a steep river valley but also in uh, on the on the path that water takes throughout a valley it also accumulates in the geology and in our particular case, again, we have nine or 10, I, need, I really need to check uh, cedar trees, if you can imagine of this size. So let's say 60 to 80 feet tall, pumping all of this water, so keeping it. 
So in certain parts of the property, we don't have anything growing underneath the mulch of the, of the cedar trees because it's allelopathic and we can't grow anything. But at the same time, it gets this microclimate where in summer, it's almost 10 degrees uh, less, 10 degrees Celsius, just making sure I get my point across. So we get a, a microclimate thanks to the, the cedar. So this is a lesson from, from nature, how certain elements are doing their job and sometimes we take it for granted in my case I, i'm learning from the from the environment and i'm seeing okay what else can grow in the same in the same conditions and again to link to something that we were talking about earlier mike um i'm giving with three permaculture designers and we're, maybe we're giving each other is each other advice and you never ask but i did think of, of uh, elderberry yeah. Yeah. I put elderberry close to wherever. I've seen situations where it naturally occurs, and I've I've learned a little bit about it. And it take care. It takes care of so many toxins, and it can be organic or inorganic. Maybe you have the Canadian and the the American elderberry. Uh, the European we have a, one. We have. Some, I I think it's a Canadian uh, growing like right down our hill naturally just like a native elderberry mm -hmm. we have some that we planted in our food forest um that's i'm not sure what the difference is i, I kind of forget at this point but yeah that we've even found some naturally and it is going down closer to water where it's where it's showing up mm -hmm. okay so the french name for elderberry would literally be translated by on water meaning that it grows on water you have ah. the walnut and also has uh, the translation of the French name for walnut is drowning roots. <laughs> or you can call it drowning roots. So it's, it's got its feet in water. And in my particular case as well, it's very, very important because we get uh, nutrients. Even nature can provide too many nutrients doesn't have to be you know an animal pooping close to where your your water is just might have a concentration of of, of a particular mineral uh, resource and i found in in my case that elderberry will grow in lots of difficult difficult conditions and take care of no sorry i, I did want to point this out and do take care of some of the pollution they absorb it and they stock it they they store it and it just takes it out and it makes uh, makes the soil much safer, I think. The toxin absorber. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, yeah, we have some elderberry growing. Um, in the, yeah, it is down near the water, uh, where the water comes off the hill. Um, yeah, the so it's every property is different with with water. Um, you know, I was just thinking about my property. Like we don't have any drip line irrigation. Um, we don't necessarily need it. We're in Vermont, which is also a wet area, Cormac, like like Ireland. Um, though our summers are droughting droughting off a little, um, getting dry. So thinking of twenty years in the future here. Not sure how fast climate change will progress. I do believe it's within my lifetime, and I'm kind of an old dude at this point, so it's still going to affect me. So I'm thinking about that. Um, but uh, yeah, the system that I have, like I was saying, 
we have a, a tank up gravitationally charged so we get ex very you know very good water pressure uh, actually the further down because we're it's still a sloping hill further down get more water pressure but it's all within a nice range it just it just worked out nicely that way but uh instead of drip line irrigation i have a system of hoses i bought the black water pipe so i have one inch coming off the hill the main line and then i branch off one that hits the shed and then goes down to our food forest and then hits that and then i have some coming across the house i have it splitting across the house so that i can go into the house it goes off to either side of the house and then the old hoses that were and that that I put in the house five years ago, converted them over to the spring system. So basically, it's kind of like we do have an irrigation system where I have branches coming off a of line, mm -hmm. distributing to, to, you know, we have a 10 acre property, but I'm irrigating about two acres, which is still a significant amount of land. Um, so I have it spreading out, but then I have it just going to garden hoses. You know, with that have a range, you know, our vineyard has a garden hose or two. Then our other, like our annual beds, they have two garden hoses going to them. And we have a oat orchard, a little food forest in the backyard that has its own garden hose. The shed and the chicken area has its own garden hoses. Um, and then we have hoses on the house. So there's probably about, I think there's a dozen hoses connected to the system. Um, and they're not all BPA. Some of them are BPA free, but some of them are just hoses. But I'm not that super worried about it because we moved out of New Jersey to Vermont. So our chemical load is just so we went, went from the city to the country. So our chemical load is so much less than it was. And that's one of our main concerns. I probably said chemical about 12 times in this podcast, because at the end of the day, it's like everything we've learned is really just kind of protecting yourself from modern chemicals that our bodies haven't evolved. It takes, you know, tens of thousands of years for our bodies to epigenetically get used to new chemicals. So modern 20th century chemicals are all very bad i mean just just think about drugs you know um think about drugs cannabis it's been a million years our species has been doing it cannabis does very little harm to you if not it's a medicine actually then the next drug you think about is like alcohol okay that's ten thousand years ago humans started doing alcohol so westerners can handle alcohol somewhat but they can also really it can kill you still you know based on the dose but then you think like native americans like here it's only 500 years of exposure for them and it's really a really bad poison for them because they're they haven't gotten used to that drug yet then you think of like modern drugs 100 years you know you have methamphetamine heroin cocaine um, these are all synthesized chemicals synthesized in a lab even though they come from natural sources they're then concentrated and synthesized um then these chemicals nobody does well on those and even the new modern drugs you hear about on the news sometimes they like kill people right away fentanyl and these are all brand new drugs that there's no epigenetic so the newer the chemical the worse it is for us in general look at um you know even um <clears throat> even alcohol people drank alcohol for the longest time in europe because the water was bad children drank small beer mm. which is about two percent alcohol kabuchas half a percent one percent so like a, a mild alcohol, but they would drink it all day long, get a little tipsy. Yeah, kids a little tipsy. So what, you know, but um, then they turned alcohol into, into a drug, basically into a chemical with distilling. So now you're taking this industrial process and you're processing even alcohol, you know, wine and beer are living products. They're fermented. It's alive. There's good stuff in there for you. But vodka or, you know, whiskey. 
this is this is a this is a chemical basically and a new chemical so in in the 1850s at least in my country in the united states when this new drug distilled alcohol hit the already drinking crowd it's suddenly 10 times stronger people were still drinking it like it was water and suddenly you you the men of the family who were the main providers back then would just blow their whole paycheck on this new drug because they were like suddenly addicted it's great they're in the bar and actually there was a free lunch back then they they offered lunch to get you in to, to spend your <laughs> whole paycheck on that thing so anyway i'm just saying just i wanted to illustrate those examples of how um chemicals are bad for us because we haven't had that conversation over time so water is a sponge for chemicals so protecting the water in that sense is is probably the most important thing you can you can do for yourself i think Mm. And, okay, that was my that was my tangent yeah that was a tangent but it, it brings up a, 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 it takes us up on another tangent maybe that basically what uh they reckon the wars of the future are going to be fought over water yeah so, so it's important that you learn these skills to collect your water you, you have to know how to treat your water you have to water is your life you're a certain uh mostly water uh river percentage it is I'm, I'm i'm not so sharp on the figures tonight but um it, it's it's important. You can't drink water. You what is it? You three days of water, you die. Yeah, three That's days. It. So it's uh, these are skills that people need to learn, and we need to apply to our garden as well. We don't want to kill our plants. That's <laughs> <No. laughs> uh, so. If I you just if I can, oh, it's not going to work here. It doesn't it doesn't show up? The the robot is is blocking all images, but human images on this camera. So. But the, I had this avocado plant in the last pod, podcast. And I was telling you, I was like, I, I didn't know. I was just drooping. The leaves were just heading straight down. It looked like that girl in the the uh, the movie, The Ring, with the long black hair. It's just like, mm. just straight down. Terrible. And because we heard that avocados don't like water. They like a dry soil. You know, they... So... <laughs> so my wife and I um, just like basically like I was watering a lot in the beginning and it's just like, no, no, all right, no, we went, didn't water. So we didn't water it and didn't water it. And it just started drooping. And like, we were afraid of water. It just started drooping. Finally, I'm like internet. And so the number one way that avocados die is people that are afraid to water it and they underwater it. So I got like a half gallon of water and I just dumped it in the thing. And now it's just like, so happy. It's in the sun. The leaves are all out. You know, when those leaves start drooping, it's usually water. It's usually water. It's a hydrostatic pressure. It needs they need that pressure to to come out. So, ah, but you were telling me that the under you overwatered it because it got root rot. I thought I overwatered it, but it was in my head. It was me. Right. I was broken. I was broken. <laughs> yeah. Plants need water. Water your plants. I mean, you can't. You can overwater an avocado and you'll get root rot. But it it has a loamy, real loamy soil. It's in a container. We're in Vermont. It's obviously in a container. So I, mean, I felt the soil it was dry. It was just crumbly. It was terrible. I was like, oh, it, it, I didn't kill it. <laughs> Still alive. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not a great segue. Sorry. <laughs> that's not a segue. Well, uh, <laughs> Colleen, any, any closing thoughts do you have uh, about water you'd like to share with us? I think we're, we're hitting well over an hour now. If, if you want to, <laughs> how, how would you like to summarize the water? Um, yeah, I guess we've, we've gone over the main points and also like not just getting caught up in, in these techniques and okay, which one to use 
you can go as fast as, as as slow or as fast as your your needs um, impose. Uh, I think it's it's the driving point that you you brought up, Cormac. You have to value water. You have to understand its value. So save it if you can. Use it to the best of your abilities. Uh, if not, you know, at least make it infiltrate into the soil and there that's that's the main storage for for life in general and i think uh, there's not we can't get we can't do any worse than the chemical industry or the 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 the, the alcoholic industry as long as we store it in, in in the soil and then we learn a little bit about succession and whatever grows with the water that is available and then we learn how to use those plants I mentioned earlier, like in my case, I was trying to grow something, and then with the available water, for as much effort as I put in into the into the garden project, there was something else that was growing, and it was edible. So I, I just stopped over, so to speak, overwatering when I actually didn't have that resource. So all in all, you know, let's do our best that we can for for the system, for for the ecosystem, and then there's always feedback from 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 nature. And hopefully we can we can all learn to integrate and share some stories about <laughs> what to do, what not to do, how how to do it. And uh, yeah, Mike, would you like to say something to to finish off? Yeah, I mean, just it's we're lucky to we're lucky to have mm. what most people most people in the well is it most people in the world? Can I even say that? In, in the Western world that the three of us live in, that we're lucky enough to live in right now, I think we all have an abundance of water. But, you know, it's easy to, you know, I grew up in a sort of suburban situation in America where the water was 24-7, just take it for granted. Um, but we, uh, based on your situation, even in the West, um, there's, uh, you know, there's an expression and it's, it's it goes something like this. I don't know if it's a permaculture expression, but it's an old wise sort of farming um, expression is when times are tough, you got to cut wood and you have to carry water. And when mm -hmm. times are good, you have to cut wood and you have to carry water. So you should never take it for granted, even though it's flowing today. You know, learn about it, learn how to store it, capture it, store it, distribute it and protect it. And um and then you'll be good because water is essential for life. Thanks very much. All I would say is uh, collect it, protect it, and use it wisely. Just, and, and that's it. It's a precious resource, and we should all appreciate it. And particularly from a design point of view, you should just think how it's as clean and Mike's explained. Or both their properties, uh, the demonstration site and properties, how, they, how it flows through their flows through the system from the top to the bottom and actually you have to start thinking about it um guys thanks very much it's been a wonderful chat i really mm -hmm. enjoyed it me too uh, good to see yeah. colleen back in the horse back join us tonight <laughs> <laughs> uh mike thank you very good much to be back. yeah mm -hmm. thank you <laughs> and uh guys thanks very much for joining us uh so this is a follow-on the lunchtime learning episode nine you can find that in the link below. You can find us now on uh, Spotify, Apple, all the big podcasts. Uh, I just sorted that out today, finally. And we really appreciate you joining us. If if you're struggling with all these concepts, 
we can help you uh, either through a consultation on our consultation. You can actually speak to us. It'll actually be like us. <laughs> and uh, we'll be able to advise you on your property. And if he's one of the design, we'll be able to get you to design. Each design it'll uh, comes with a year's membership of the Growers Club, <laughs> where mm -hmm. we'll be in the forums answering your questions. We're going to nurture you and help you get more, get grow more food, protect their water, and give you that support everybody needs. And all we want basically is getting more people growing food in the ground, and that's 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 what it's all about. And uh, thanks very much. We'll see you all next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Came there to see